Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Mark 12, 41 through 44. I'll be reading from the ESV version. If you'd like to follow along on your devices or your own personal Bibles, please do so. I'll give you a minute to find it. Again, that's Mark 12, 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many, re- many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all today. Some of you I know well, and others I don't know as well, but I'm Bill Evans. I'm the pastor of outreach at Severna Park EP Church down in Pasadena, Maryland. Brian and I served on the staff together for a number of years before he came up here to plan, and it's my privilege and my joy to be back with you guys again today as Brian and Becky are out of town. We love them dearly in this church and this work. Um, we're just thrilled to see what God is doing up here, and I'm just always thrilled to be back here with you, so I appreciate you having me this morning. Before we look at this passage, let me just pray for us, and let's ask the Lord to join us in this time. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we give you praise and we give you thanks for this day. We thank you that where two or three are gathered, you're there. You promise to be with your church. And you promise to fill us with your spirit. You promise that um, you are going to make your word come alive. And so we need that and we want that. We don't need to hear from another preacher. We need to hear from your spirit. So we would ask this morning you would meet with us and you would teach us. Show us something fresh, something real, something amazing about your generosity to us through your son Christ. That would indeed stir up in us radical generosity. So we might praise you and we might thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you who are older, and I know we got a lot of students here, and I'm glad to see you guys as well, and I hope you don't fall into this trap, but some of you who are older might, might have had the same thing happen to you when I finished university. It was just a couple of years ago. Uh, I remember it very well. I started getting credit cards in the mail. I'd never had a credit card in my life. I didn't apply for any. They just started showing up. I'm thinking, wow, this is great. I've got money now. I started using those credit cards. It was great for a while, but before long, I was in really serious trouble with my credit cards. Before long, I was up to my neck in debt. And I couldn't sort out my problem. I needed some outside help. So I went to a company, companies that help you figure out your budget and help you reconcile your debts. And what they do is that they go through your spending habits with a fine-tooth comb. And they began, to, they began to analyze in detail my money and how I was spending my money, and it wasn't pretty. 
It was not pretty. In a very real sense, my money began to talk about me. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. If someone went through your bank account or went through your credit card statement, what would your money say about you? Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. How we spend our money and especially how we give of ourselves and our resources reveals the state of the heart like little else in our lives. But this is what I want us to focus on for just a little bit this morning. Because Christ has given so generously to us, we are called to be generous givers. Now, I want us to think about that theme this morning through three perspectives here. And I want us to see in this passage observations and offerings of the hands, the heart, and hope. Let's think about those for a little bit. First, observations and offerings of the hands. Now, Jesus is a people watcher. It's what He does. So He goes, He finds Him a place in the temple, and He sits and He begins to watch. Now, all throughout the temple are these collection vessels. This is what one of them looked like. Now, the ESV calls this a box. But the word is actually chaparoth, and, and the chaparoths were these, they were kind of like upside-down trumpets. They were usually made of copper or brass, and they were strategically placed throughout the temple, and they were, they were various sizes and shapes, and they were made for the various temple dues and the offerings and the collections. Now, you have to remember, in Jesus' day, there was no paper money, no folding money, Everything was coins. So you could imagine you dropping a coin in one of these things and the noise that it would make. Now, the first people that Jesus notices are some rich people. A number of rich people come in. And the Bible says they put in a large amount of money. Now, remember, this was Passover time. Many, many people were there in this day. It would have been a great opportunity to be seen and to see others. Now, in Jesus' day, it was believed that the more money, the more wealth a person had, the greater God loved that person, the greater the blessing that God was pouring out upon that person. So, if you were wealthy and you wanted people to think that God really held you in high regard, the temple was the place to be. Now, you can almost imagine kind of how a wealthy person might come into the temple. Jesus condemned the wealthy, the, the religious people who had a lot of money for making a show about themselves. So you can almost imagine what this might have looked like. A wealthy person comes into the temple. Now, he might not have come in or without a lot of fanfare, but could you imagine walking up with a big jar full of coins or a big bag full of coins and dump them in one of these chaparrals and the noise that would make? It would have caught everyone's attention... And people would have probably said, wow, God must really love that guy a lot. And then Jesus sees a poor widow comes in and she puts in two small copper coins. And the Bible says these were worth about a penny. Now, for this woman, these two coins would have been a full day's wage for her. This would have been everything she had for that day. Now, try to imagine her coming into the temple. 
She's going to try to come in as quietly as she can. She's going to try to take those two coins and drop them in to where they're going to make the least amount of noise possible. She doesn't want to call any attention to herself. And if anybody was watching, they were probably snickering. See, on the outside, the tiny offerings of the poor woman seem really insignificant and she wanted to vanish. But the offerings of the rich seem very significant and they wanted everyone to notice. This week I was reading an article about Hollywood celebrities who give of their time to all kinds of charities and they raise a lot of money for charities. They really do. But the article went on to say that it's the celebrities themselves who typically benefit the most from the publicity and not really the charities. Now, I'm not questioning any of their hearts at all or disparage what they're doing, but I couldn't help but think, I wonder how many would do that if the cameras weren't rolling. Now, before we get too self-righteous, about Hollywood, you and I need to think about how we give and why we give. And to help us answer that question, let me make two observations about this passage. First is that God shows no favoritism. We need to get that in our minds because very often wealth can breed a false sense of superiority and outward generosity, a false sense of security with God. But to God, there's absolutely no advantage to being rich or poor, young or old, healthy or sick, educated or uneducated, spiritually gifted or a spiritual child. And here's the thing, and we need to remember this, is that God never calls all of us to give the same amount, but what He does call all of us to do is to give. And the more we have the more He expects of us. To those whom much has been given, much will be required. One of the great problems as a pastor I see in the church today is really the sh- what I'm going to call shameful giving of God's people. In our church down in uh, Pasadena, 15% of the church gives 90% of its income. Think about that. gives 90% of the income of the church. So the vast majority of folks that have a lot and don't have much at all give little or nothing to the church. Every one of us has the ability to give as well as the responsibility to give. And this is one of those places that we have to ask ourselves, why are we not taking this more seriously? A place where we need to ask the Lord, Lord, forgive us. Change our hearts about how we think about this. And the second thing I want to observe about this passage is that Christ is watching. Nobody in the temple that day knew that Jesus was watching them. And very often we forget that He's watching us too. So I wonder when He looks at my life, when He looks at your life, what does He see? Does He see generosity? Does He see sacrificial giving? What does he see? Does he see little? Does he see nothing? When I give, does he see me giving out of duty or out of habit? Or does he see me giving out of thanksgiving and out of love for what he's done for me? 
You know, you, you may can fool everybody else in the world, but you can't fool Christ. He knows if we give, why we give, what we give, and whether we give out of our abundance or out of our poverty. You see, because the offering of our hands, giving matters to Christ. It matters to Him. So let's think for a few minutes now about observations and offerings of the heart. Now, when we read this passage, it's easy to see it costs the rich folks nothing because they gave out of their wealth. And Jesus wasn't impressed. He saw right through the pride, right through the self-exaltation. Now, in contrast, though, you can almost get a sense of Christ's joy at this poor widow. He knew that it cost this woman everything to give what she did, and it just thrilled his heart. It delighted him. Now, what was the difference between the two? The difference was the heart. You see, her heart was so inclined toward the Lord that sacrificial giving was the only response she had. See, Christ's words here, they're really a double-edged sword for us. They encourage those of us who have very little, and they challenge those of us who have a lot. They challenge us in our heart that our attitudes matter as much as our actions do to the Lord. So, what do we observe about the woman's heart and her attitude? Let me suggest a couple of things. One is radical generosity. The Bible says she gave everything she had. She held absolutely nothing back. Folks, that's radical generosity. But the second thing I see here is radical trust. She gave everything to the Lord, and she must have believed in her heart that the Lord could take those two little coins and do something extraordinary with them. She also must have believed in her heart that God would bless and He would honor that sacrificial gift and He would provide for her what she needed. Radical trust. But all of this, I believe, was motivated by radical love. I think her heart was so filled with love for God for what He had done for her that it was her joy and it was her privilege to serve her Lord in that way. I'm a third-generation pastor. My daddy's a pastor. My grandfather, his father, was a pastor. My grandfather's been gone on to be with the Lord for a number of years. My daddy's 87 years old. He still pastors two churches down in West Tennessee. He'll be preaching this moment, same as me, and I count that as great privilege. My daddy, though, told me a story about a woman in his church, an elderly woman. And the woman one Sunday put a check in the offering plate. And when my daddy saw the check, the check wasn't much. But he knew, he knew that this woman did not have that kind of money to give. As I said, she was elderly. She was on a very meager and fixed income. And my dad decided that he was going to give her the check back. Because he knew she could not afford to give the church that kind of money. So he went to see her. Her name was Miss Hattie. And he sat down with her and he said, Miss Hattie, let me tell you how much I appreciate you, how much we love you in this church, and how thankful I am for this gift. 
The heart behind it means everything to me, but he says, I can't take this gift. I know this is going to hurt you to give this kind of money. And she looked at my daddy and she said, Brother Bill, please, please don't deny me the joy and the privilege of serving my Lord in this way. My daddy took the check and left. That's the heart of the poor widow. And that's the heart that the Lord calls each of us to have. The attitude behind the gifts that we give. And please remember this. The value of the gift is not determined by how large it is, but by the heart behind the gift. You see, attitude is everything in how we give. Well, you know what's almost on us. Going to be tax time soon. Some of you may have already gone through that. I'm going through it now. This time of year, when I have to pay Uncle Sam the taxes he wants from me, it's probably the time of the year that I have the worst attitude. I hate sending money to the government. I really do. And so when I do it, I rant about it, I rave about it, I fuss, I complain, I gripe. Now, I pay online now, but back when I used to write checks, I scribbled a check where you couldn't even read it. That was like my protest. And then I'd put it in at the very last second, right? But here's the thing. The IRS doesn't give a rip about my attitude. They just want their money, right? But Jesus cares about my attitude. He really cares about my attitude. And I wonder how many of us treat the Lord like I treat the IRS. Grumble, complain, wait to the last minute. You know, maybe when I bought everything else I need, I throw the Lord a bone or two. It's not just about money. The attitude is about how often we make excuses when we're asked to give of our time, when we're asked to give of our talents in service to the church. The heart matters. Let me make some observations of why I think and what keeps us from joyful, radical generosity I think the first thing is this. We don't think we have anything to give. I mean, I'm barely making ends meet, man. I'm struggling financially. I mean, when I was a student in college, and I I love to see the students here. When I was a student, you know what my favorite meal was? Hamburger helper without the hamburger. It was like, that was what I lived on. I had nothing. And I think some of you can say amen to that. I mean, I'm barely making ends meet, Pastor. But this passage dispels any such idea that we don't have anything to give. I want you to think for a minute about how those two little coins of that woman have made their way down through history and blessed so many people and encouraged so many people that God can take a tiny little bit and do something extraordinary with it. Ken Hughes, who wrote a commentary on this passage and on this book of, of, 
Mark said, if there is love and sacrifice in the giver, there will be spiritual power in the gift. It's not just about money. That's what I'm trying to make a point here. In addition, all of us have something to give. We all have something to give to the work of the Lord, to the work of this church. Think about the opportunities. There are opportunities here to help set up and tear down every Sunday morning, to store equipment, to write and make the bulletins, to follow up with visitors, to visit folks who are sick and suffering, to drop a note or an email of encouragement, to take someone a meal, to host a small group, to be a part of a small group, to invite a friend or a colleague or a classmate, to be involved in the outreach of the church. The church always needs large gifts. I do not want to just, I I don't want you to miss that. The church needs large gifts, but what the church needs more is a whole lot of little gifts given with the sacrificial heart of that poor widow. Now, here's the second thing, I think, is a problem. We tend to see giving as an expense versus an investment. But an investment in generosity will not only pay great dividends in the kingdom of God, it will pay back great dividends in spiritual blessings to the giver. Why else would Jesus say it's more blessed to give than to receive? And I'm not talking about He's going to give you back more money if you put money in the offering plate. What He's promised to give us is more of Himself to fill us more with Jesus, with the Spirit of God. That's the best blessing any of us can get right there. I think the third reason is we fail to see with eyes of faith. I mean, Jesus was able to look beyond the little amount of the two coins and see the, not just see the woman's heart, but see the potential those two coins would make throughout history. The impact they would make on those of us who read this passage. I wonder how well we're able to see with eyes of faith beyond the actual gift. One of the things I love as a pastor is seeing parents teach their kids about giving. And I love to see a child drop a couple of coins in the offering plate. I love that. Because I can see beyond the two coins and I can see what God's doing in that child's heart. And I can see what that little gift God can take it and do extraordinary things with it. When you see that, do you see the potential? And beyond the money, when you look at that homeless man, or you look at that young man or young woman that's pierced and tattooed, that kid with the strange hair and the earphones, the addict, the alcoholic, you look at the elderly man or woman, you look at that young man or or woman professional, what do you see? What do you see when you look at them? Do you see a lost or hopeless soul? Do you see someone that's not worth the time? Or do you see someone made in the image of God with a heart that longs to be loved, that longs to be accepted? What do you see when you look at this little church plant? If God can take two worthless little coins and multiply them infinitely, Don't you think He could take your little gift 
Don't you think he could take the life of an apathetic teenager, an alcoholic, a drug addict, an overbusy mom, an elderly man or woman, and even a struggling church plant and use them and make them somebody or something powerful for the kingdom of God? Don't you believe he can do that? You see, when we begin to see with eyes of faith that see beyond the exterior and see the potential, we're going to want to be a part of that. We are going to want to be a part of that. You see, my challenge is the same as yours. Don't brush off people or situations too quickly. You and I need to continually condition our eyes to see the potential that God sees. That's seeing with eyes of faith. And I think this is the fourth challenge. Is that we tend to think what we have belongs to us. I mean, I get up to work. I get up and go to work every day. I earn a paycheck. God doesn't go to work for me. It's my money to do as I want, right? Really? I mean, think about that. Was it your decision to be born in Western affluence? Or into a household of people that cared for you and loved you? Was it your choice to be blessed with mental and physical health? Was it your choice that you were going to be well educated? goes on and on. The Bible says this, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, if it was a gift to you, why do you act like it wasn't? We need to get rid of the notion that what we have belongs to us. Everything we have and everything we are comes from God. And the sooner we offer it back to Him, Not only the more blessed we're going to be, but the more satisfied we're going to be. Now, let me be clear about something here. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into giving anything here. God does not need our money. He can build His kingdom without a nickel from any one of us. You know what He wants and needs? What He wants is hearts and lives committed to the same thing that He's committed to that His Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified and the name of Christ would spread across this globe. That's what He wants hearts and lives committed to. And when our hearts and lives are committed to that, everything we have and everything we are, stuff will quickly give away. But what's going to make us want to give generously like that? to give with all of our hearts. The only thing that's going to make us want to do that is when we see very clearly what Christ has done for us and the hope that comes with that. And that's the last thing I want to talk about for just a couple of minutes, observations and offerings of hope. When I look at this poor widow, I see Christ in a very real way because she's a picture of Him. We read this earlier. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty 
might become rich. Jesus Christ, He came to earth. God in the flesh. As a poor carpenter's son, He was an itinerant preacher. He never had a home. The only thing He owned were the clothes on His back. And He died on a cross in our place without even that. You see, His life and His death looked insignificant, yet God received this seemingly insignificant offering and He multiplied it a billion fold. If you're here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a recipient of that blessing. And because that's true, you have hope. If you are in Christ, He has redeemed you from damnation and judgment and given you infinite value and purpose. And because that is true, you have hope. And even more, He has promised you in Christ an eternal heavenly home, free of sin, free of suffering, free of pain, free of sorrow, free of sin. And because that is true, we have hope. You see... The only way that we will become radically generous is when we get hold of how radically generous God has been to us in Christ. And the hope, the hope, the eternal, unchanging hope that we have because of that. And the Lord says to us, will you take this hope you have and will you offer it back to me? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I cannot tell you how glad I am you're here. It is my joy to welcome you in the name of Jesus. But I've got a question for you this morning. What are you putting your hope in this day? What are you putting your hope in? Money? Possessions? Success, power, pleasure. I put my hope in these things for years and years and not one of them satisfied me. Let me share with you a truth this morning. And that's simply this. Anything that you can lose can never satisfy you. Nor can it ever give you any real security nor can it ever give you hope. You see, hope in this kind of stuff is the wringing your hands, wondering what's going to happen next kind of hope. The hope God offers us is confidence in His promises. There's only one thing that you cannot lose. The only thing that can give us hope is something we cannot lose. And there's only one thing that you cannot lose. And that is salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And the Bible says this, 
And this is the record God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And look at this. These things I write to you who believe in the name of Son of God. And look at that. So that you may know. So that you may know you have eternal life. Christ offers us something that you can't lose. Can't get away from you. It can't slip through your fingers. And that's why the Bible says this. Today is the day of salvation. Call upon the name of the Lord while He's near. If you don't know the Lord today, my prayer is today will be the last day you ever say that. Today will be the day you will call upon the name of the Lord. You will cry out and you will acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior and mankind's only hope. You will confess your sins and ask Him to forgive you and come into your heart and change you and you will offer up your life. Say, Lord, take it. Do with it whatever you want. If you got a question about that, come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the leaders here in this church. The Lord stands ready this very hour to receive anyone who would call upon His name. When those debt counselors started analyzing my spending habits many years ago, my treasures were exposed. And not one of them had any real value. And the worst part of it all, I couldn't fix my problem. I needed help. And so not only did this company help me sort through my financial budgets and get a a budget that I could live with, they went to my creditors and they worked out a repayment plan for me. It took me a long time to pay off all those credit cards. But I ultimately got them all paid off. I finally... Covered my debt. But you know what? My debt to God was far bigger and I couldn't pay that one no matter what I did. That's why Christ came. He came to do for me what I could not do for myself. He went to my ultimate creditor. My Father in heaven. And He didn't just work out a repayment plan for me. He paid it in full for me. He paid it on the cross at Calvary. And to show that the payment was received in full, he rose from the dead. When I observed the magnitude of his offering, of his sacrifice, and the hope that comes with that, joyful, radical generosity to God becomes very, very natural to me. You see, because Christ has given so generously to us. We're called to be generous givers. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for this beautiful word, challenging word for us. Oh Lord, we know you don't need our money. We know you are able to do anything and everything well, whether we give you a thing or not. What you long for is our hearts and our lives. 
that are motivated by joyful, sacrificial, radical generosity of how we give of ourselves and how we give of our resources. Lord, I know you can take little gifts and big gifts alike and multiply them and use them in mighty ways. And we would ask that you would do that here in Deep Run Church, here in Westminster, here in the county, here in our state, across our land and across this globe. Receive our offerings, Lord. Stir up in us generosity so we might praise you and we might thank you in Christ's name. Amen.